Good morning. We're fortunate, blessed to have Deb Redlant with us. I think you all know Deb. She's been part of our church family, despite her prestigious titles, doctor, How about disciple, follower of Jesus? Her her most wonderful (laughs) accomplishments is her discipleship. Next two weeks, we're going to be looking at an issue and how we relate to God. In that spirit, let us pray. Father, we are truly blessed today. And we do offer up our praise to you for all you have given us, but most definitely for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we get to know you through Jesus in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we pray for your added blessing. And today, as we learn and study with Deb, we ask that you give her clarity of mind, that we might receive your message through her into our open, willing, and obedient hearts. And this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. But it's good to be with you all. Um, boy, you're just coming off an amazing study. I wish I could have been here uh, to study with you, more to the point, to sit at the feet of the masters in terms of Hebrews. Uh, this class comes out of uh, a comment that Dan made coming out of early service um, months ago, actually. And in the service, I quoted Richard Rohr. Are you all familiar with who Richard Rohr is? He is a Franciscan priest who has lived his life in poverty in community. Um, And he formed a community many, many years ago in um, Cincinnati. And um, and that community continues to this day. And then chose to move to Albuquerque, New Mexico um, to be in one of the most, as he says, Um, beautiful and yet impoverished um, states in the United States Um, and to really grapple uh, with um, the actions that we take and the impact that that has on the shaping of community, on the creation of poverty um, and the impact that it has upon individual lives. Um, As I noted, he is Franciscan um, and so he is deeply earthed Um, in a piety that very intentionally is committed to that inward, outward journey. So he is a contemplative um, who lives out his ministry in terms of social justice in a very active way, but but he um, is very clear that that relationship between the inward journey and the outward journey are, there is an essential partnership. And so... um, Richard is um, known for just kind of coming down to the essence of something. And, um, and here, we're going to grapple over the next two weeks with the Imago Dei. In fact, you have a homework assignment for next week, and that is this week to spend some time in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 gives us this beautiful image of a day in the life of Jesus. But we're going to begin today with where the Amago Dei, or the image of God, comes in Scripture, in Genesis. And we're going to really grapple with some of the images that we all carry inside ourselves of God. Um, Because what Rohr challenges us with is this reality, that our image of God creates us. Your image of God creates you. What do you hear in that statement? Okay, so um, could the opposite be true as well? 
that as our own views are opened up, as they um, evolve, we can, so we can not only be limited, but we can grow, okay? So what else do you hear? Your image of God creates you. Uh huh. <laughs> How thoughtful of him, yes? Oh, he loved you. And now? Very good. Well, so where were your views of God when you were first married? He was kind of out there. And okay. He was guiding me. And, uh, oh, no, I think you spoke. <laughs> and uh, I expected good treatment from him. Uh, so I never feared. In fact, that's one of the things that irritated me the most early on, was you've got to fear God instead of finding somebody what that meant. Respect. Not yeah. Hey, but he could indeed. All right, anyone else? I have Jack. more comfort with the God creator. Okay. You know, it's interesting, and you guys heard me reference this a little bit last week in terms of Trinity Sunday. Um, um, I, I can spell, not just not talk and spell at the same time. Um, these, in theological terms, are, if this is called economic language, in terms of the function of God. And, um, and so one of the things that we grapple with is how do we um, nurture that intrinsic relationship with God that then la- allows us the experience of the economic, if you will, of the, the more functional aspects of, of God's person. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And then you did indeed. All right, I'm going to move us along now. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think we all, uh, whether we're conscious of it or not, have these images of God that have been shaped in our early childhood. And they lay a baseline for us. And then as we engage with Scripture, we come to encounter sometimes a God who leaves us not very comfortable as whole tribes of people are eliminated, as the wrath of God addresses serious um, issues in that time in the wilderness with Israel. Um, And sometimes there is that tension of how do we um, even begin to conceive of this triune God who is the one in three and the three in one. So I want to um, have us begin at the beginning when we talk about our image of God shaping us, it begins with Genesis. This is grounded in scripture, that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And I'll send the office, this PowerPoint, um, so that if you want to reference it, it will be there. Um, But, you know, we don't get very far into Genesis with the 26th verse when we are told that God said, let us make humanity in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every living creeping thing. Thank you, awesome man. Um, And God created humanity in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is a pretty extraordinary statement when you think about it, that we've been created 
in the image of God, there's a responsibility that comes with that and how we live with being created in the image of God um, reflects both our understanding of this uh, and our willingness to our line our lives with this. So, go ahead, Jerry. Right, plural. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and male and female. You know, our use of pronouns can get us really hung up, folks. Um, and yet, if you think of some of the images that God uses throughout Scripture that Jesus used, Jesus compared himself to a mother hen. But we get into these very bounded set beliefs that, that then prescribe how we understand our relationship with God, not just how we understand Scripture, but how we understand our relationship with God. Richard Rohr says this, that Scripture has the ability to move us to transformation. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, tells us that we are be to be transformed degree by degree into the image of God. The word transformed in Greek is morpho, morpho. And, um, and that means that there is this yielding um, that allows us to really yield and let go of anything that is not of God. So I want us to take a moment, and we're going to do a little swing through, uh, you know, just a mere thousand years of art history, and I want us to reflect together on how the image of God was seen through the eyes of some great masters over the last thousand years. So where else to begin but the Sistine Chapel? What do you see, and what does this painting of God and Adam tell us? He was feeling right at home, wasn't he? Yeah, but you know what? How important is that, to be at home in our own skin? And how many people live with shame and this sense that something is not right as opposed to claiming the reality that we are created in the image and likeness of God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist tells us. So you're right, Adam's at home in his own skin. What else do you see? Oh my, whoa, there's some strong implications there. So God reaches out, but we're reaching out too in response. What else do you see? Well, oh sorry. Yeah, they're looking at each other. So there's that mirroring. Now I guarantee you that Michelangelo did not read an article on attachment and attunement and mirroring. And yet intuitively knew that part of the bonding between parent and child is through the eyes, through that mirroring of love. So <coughs> think of our children um, who have been held and loved and how at home in their skin they are. And then as you all get ready to go to the Pine Ridge Reservation, think of our children who have not had that mirroring. There's a strong invitation there for us to mirror the love of God to those children and youth and adults. But you know, that mom's eye, face, I watched that babies. Right. They fix their face. Oh, it is, uh, and it is given to us by God, that gift. I am 
certain of that. And think about it, folks. We who are so caught up in the busyness of our lives, all we have to do is be handed a baby and we're lost, aren't we? Last week, it took everything in me to preach my sermon and not look at Alice Bailey holding this beautiful child. Oh my goodness, Alice was mirroring to this child love through the entire service. And it begins, oh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. Into community. Yeah. And there are, you know, I mean, some of it, it's, there are different, um, we could probably get a, a, a detail that would show us more of that. Well, I know we could. All right, so we've got mirroring. We have God reaching out and our response to that reaching in. We have others. And there is this sense of, of being at home in ourselves. Kent. Oh, okay. Not young. You know, Meister Eckhart, 14th century mystic, said, I tell you, I am becoming younger every day. Can you not see it? Can you not experience it? Um, and that sense that we must, um, you know, with age comes that wisdom that allows us then to become again like children. Because there's also, I mean, so we have God, you know, wise, older, and yet playful, too. I mean, they're touching fingers. All right, we're going to move to a very different image. This is an image, the one we're moving to, that Bart, um, Karl Barth had a reproduction over his desk. Um, and as he wrote page upon page upon page of theological doctrine, um, he kept calling himself back to this particular image. Uh, and so this is the image that is considered to be um, the, the way in which our, the baseline, if you will, of our reformed theology of the last century has been shaped and formed. Um, so this is an altarpiece, and I'm sorry it's so dark. It's not as dark on my screen. Uh, and so we, we have John the Baptist, and then we have the patrons. And above John the Baptist are the words from scripture, I must decrease that he might increase. Thanks, Dan. What do you see? And what does this image of God tell us? Sacrifice, suffering, redeemer. See now, boy, that puts a whole new feel, doesn't it? So we have God, creator, God, redeemer. But when we attach it to this image, oops, any image of God on the cross, what else do you see? Yeah. So is, go ahead. Ooh, if we had paid better attention, that wouldn't have been necessary. Love, a deep sacrificial love. Well, we have Jesus looking over Jerusalem saying, and, you know, I would that I have gathered you as a mother hen, but you would not do it. So there's some tension in that. But we do have a love that is sacrificial. So we have that, we go from, with the Sistine Chapel, um, God the Father, and that playfulness and that mirroring and that attachment and attunement that is born of that. And, and what happens, of course, in the garden is there is that falling away from relationship. And then we come to experience God in the second person. And Bart has um, been uh, challenged as having a trinity of the second person. So Bart's theology, especially if you set it in the context of the time in which he lived um, and with the atrocities of the war, 
had that focus um, on the, you know, God, the second person of the Trinity, Christ, the sacrifice, and the love born out of that. Now, I want to um, pull us back, though, to another image of Father. This is the prodigal son with Rembrandt. I am so sorry that's so dark. Wow, I don't know. Well, I would encourage you, I'll send this to Karen today, um, and, you know, just download it, and you'll get a fresher image. Um, but in this, uh, we have the older father inviting the prodigal back home, reaching out. And in the shadows, we have the older brother. And of course, we know the response of the older brother is not a happy response at all. And the use of color was intentional. Um, Henry Nowen's written a wonderful book um, on the prodigal. And he believes that the prodigal is not the son, but the father. Anything else you want to highlight from this image? How is this informing us in terms of our image of God and what we are to mirror? If you think about the last three. Jerry, go ahead. Yeah. Some might call it stupid. Yeah. But do we forgive unconditionally or with caveats? Yeah. Amazing image, isn't it? All right. Another one from Chagall. This is Genesis 18 by the Oaks of Mamre. Remember that Abram and Sarai um, were there they were. They had already left everything um, to follow God. And initially on that first trip, they have water that, and they follow the line of um, the Negev. But then they get to a point where there is no longer any water. They've been promised that they will have descendants that number the stars. And yet here they are, barren as barren can be. Um, at this point, Sarah has already, or Sarai, um, you know, kind of tried to fix things in her way by having Abram sleep with Hagar, and that's not worked out so well. There has been some strong jealousy and other issues going on. Um, but, but here we have visitors. But do we have one visitor or three visitors? And so Genesis 18 has been seen as one of the core passages um, to, to inform our understanding of the Trinity. And here is a Russian Jew painting the Trinity. Um, and this hangs actually in Nice in a museum where Chagall actually, um, which he designed prior to his death for all of his biblical paintings, which include multiple crucifixion issues, um, uh, images. You think God's at work somehow in the midst of this? Your image of God creates you. So what is Chagall telling us about his image of God? Oh, yeah, this is born out of Scripture. And, um, and in uh, his writings on this painting, um, there is that strong sense and call to hospitality. And so the question Chagall would ask us is, how are we hospitable to God? How do we receive the divine and breaking? How uh, do we greet God through our acts of hospitality? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Which would go back to some of the conversations you all had with Greg Linville about uh, a Celtic spirituality that sees the distance between heaven and earth as less than tissue thin and always, always present. Um, and I imagine that Abram 
had more than enough to keep him busy in that moment um, where all of a sudden they've got to prepare a feast for these guests because the hospitality of the um, and the etiquette, if you will, of the wilderness is that you receive all whom God sends to you. And it is in that receiving that safety is then created um, because you're less likely to kill somebody who's just fed you. I said there's a bunch of pigs. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. So I can do that? Right. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So the next image comes from a contemporary artist. His name is Daniel Bonnell. B-O-N-N-E-L. He is in um, North Carolina. You are going to want to look at his website. His paintings are amazing. And this is a self-portrait of God. And so we have um, the light, the moon, the dove, the water, the, the basin, um, and this sense of how do we serve one another? How do we um, embody God as we take towel and basin out into the world? Your image of God creates you. And this says something very profound about his understanding and image of God. So having spent a little time with what I would call a visio divina as opposed to lexio divina, I want to, um, I'm actually going to move to another piece first. Um, scripture tells us that God is love, but how do we define love? How do we know love? Um, our image and understanding of love first comes from our relationship with our parents and our parents' relationship with one another. And so um, I want to ask you just to ponder yourself. What was your mother's relationship with your father and your father's relationship with your mother? And what did you learn about love from them? And then, what was your mother's relationship with you and your relationship with your mother? And what did you learn about love? And of course, your relationship with your father and your father's relationship with you. That becomes your working definition of love. And so when we say God is love, it is interpreted through the lens of our relationship with our parents. And we know from a family systems perspective that that then informs our relationship with our spouses unless we've done some significant work or because we have had that blessing of experience of love and that in turn informs our relationship with our children. My mom almost died when I was born, and she was so sick, she couldn't hold me. So all of my maternal images are actually of my dad holding me. And I was blessed to have a father who really did know intuitively, there was nothing that would have told him this, but how to attune. And the reality is my mother should never have had me, and she certainly should not have had four of us, and it 
took some time for her to be able to attach and attune to us because every time she almost died until finally um, her doctor just did a hysterectomy. He said, we're done because you will die. And, um, and so it is interesting to watch my mother's relationship with her grandchildren because I think it has taken that multiple generation for her just to relax into allowing herself to love and be loved. But for my father, there was never any issue in, um, in loving us. He just delighted in us. And I think that's where some of the wisdom was missing in terms of there being four of us. Although I must say, I love being part of a, a big clan and we'll all be together next week. Sorry, the first baby, there have been no more. Mm. We, don't deal, we don't live that way. We don't think that yeah. way. But a woman will be coming back for more and more. Well, at least at that point in time. I mean, I think culturally we're in a, a different place and more conscious of some of the decisions that we make and, and of some of the ways in which we can parent too. Um, but, I, but I will tell you, um, not to make you all feel uncomfortable, but I do believe that part of the reason that Dick and I didn't start a family until I was 38 is I needed to process through some of that in order to live into a place where I could be the kind of mom I believed I was called to be. Um, and Elizabeth and I have a very different relationship than I had with my mother. But there's a big difference at being a 38-year-old mother as opposed to a 22-year-old mother. Um, and, you know, there's no question in my mind that my, um, my own journey in spiritual formation and, um, and having spiritual direction helped me to, to really claim... Um, and heal that definition of love. I experienced it fully with my father, but it only was when I became a mom that I was able to really heal from um, a, a real distance with my mom. Note the images I showed you. I think it's part of why, for me at least, I'm very comfortable with a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's the context in which I experienced embodied love. But I want you to, so, you know, be honest with yourself about where there is gift and beauty and, and perhaps where there are yet some unhealed wounds and where there might be invitation to allow God to come into that, um, born out of our experience of a suffering God. As, go ahead, Jack. Right. Trying myself and myself. How do I convince other people the holes exist in right. that relationship? So that's tied to episodic memory? It is. N Nancy, is, uh, do you guys have a time scheduled with Edith to come? All right. So um, Edith Opart uh, not only is a trained counselor, but she is trained in formational prayer. Uh, and so we had a conversation that led to the blankets outside and wanting to create safe space, specifically for the children uh, that you all will be working with at Pine Ridge Reservation, but it also is for the children in our community. And um, there are uh, very intentional uh, prayer models 
and, um, and protocol, if you will, by which we can bring healing uh, of our understanding and experience of love into the lives who, of those who have not experienced it at infancy and on. Uh, and that very specifically address the trauma of receiving what we didn't deserve and not receiving what we did deserve. And, and that's, a, that's a really big conversation. And in fact, um, I would invite you all to think about possibly looking in the fall to a class here in formational prayer that might invite you into at least being aware of the prayer protocols that would allow people to experience the grace-saturated embrace. Um, because what Jack says is so true. We may be blessed, at least with one of our parents, with an experience of love um, that mirrors and allows us to know God as love. But that is not the case for our at-risk children. Jerry. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> so, when you think about, well, have you read my book? Oh, we can take care of that. Okay, so, if you think um, that our image of God forms us, what it, where are we best afforded an image of God but in the earthly journey of Jesus? And what God provides for us in Jesus' earthly journey um, is an understanding of how Christ might be formed in us, beginning with birth. So just as Jesus was born, uh, so also each one of us is to be born in the Spirit. And although we don't always have that support of the family we would like to have, um, there is an embracing community that can support us, celebrate us, bless us into um, that journey of the grace-saturated embrace. So, you know, I have no doubt that even amidst all the trauma of finding herself pregnant by the Holy Spirit, um, that Mary probably would have liked her mom there and some other women, and instead she's been on this donkey that carries her to Bethlehem. And there is this supporting community that embraces and surrounds Mary and Joseph to both celebrate and consecrate this birth. So a piece of the grace-saturated embrace is that we need to know we're celebrated that the party begins when we've arrived, that we are loved just for who we are, and there's absolutely nothing we can do in that moment, um, and that we are called to be consecrated wholly unto God, and we're also called to be protected. So think about how God protected Jesus with an angel coming, a messenger, to Joseph in a dream uh, to say, get out of here, and, and that beautiful childhood and when where Jesus up to the age really of being called into the world was allowed to be a kid and was safe being a kid. That's the essence of the grace saturated embrace and it is the essence of formational prayer um, and um, some of the significant work that Edith and others have been doing. So I am going to um, I, I don't want us, because we're getting tighter on time, I'm going to sort of quickly walk us through some images of God uh, that come to us um, as a result of how we have been shaped and formed, um, and some core images that, uh, 
that have shaped us as a denomination. This comes from, I'm just drawing um, one of those wonderful blanks on his name, so I will get there, uh, from the work of, oh yes, here we go, Jack Haber. Jack was the editor for The Outlook. Um, he was on the Peace, Unity, and Purity Task Force, which was one of the most thankless tasks um, of any servant in our denomination and is now the pastor at the Vanderbilt Church down in Naples, Florida. So if you go vacation in Naples, go visit Jack and say that I sent you um, to say hello. Uh, he is a wonderful saint of the church. And, and he wrote a book um, called A Passion for the Gospel, Five God Views. Because what he found in his work traveling around our denomination is we tended to fall into usually two or three of these five camps. And if other people didn't fall into those camps with us, well, we got rather put out with them. And we didn't think they were very faithful disciples. And we um, began to find our relationship with others across our denomination fraying. And so this is his language. I probably would choose somewhat different language, but as he looks at how the image of God has created us as a denomination and therefore impacted our own personal faith journeys, uh, he said that, you know, there is the inclusivist. That's the business of welcoming. That's the Wednesday ministry. It's, it's Wednesday, right, when people come? Um, so it is the central task to break down the walls between people, to open the doors to outsiders, to um, unmask the privileged insiders. Actually, altruist is the Wednesday ministry. This is to say, you know, we welcome people from all walks of life, that everybody belongs here, that you may perceive this as the church, um, where uh, you have to be a certain way or do a certain job or have a certain number of degrees, but that this is for everybody. And part of what I love is um, that through the week, there is this steady flow of everybody through the doors. Um, the challenge, of course, is that we need to remain connected to the gospel and that that openness to everybody needs to be um, born out of our understanding of who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. So with the altruist, we then come to the least of these, to that ministry, um, to those who are most at risk. Um, and there is that sense that the central task of the body of Christ is to extend mercy to the hungry, to the sick, the poor, the abandoned. This is Matthew 25. You know, when I was sick, you did not visit me. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. But here's what Teresa, Mother Teresa would say, you know, if we extend that without also extending the invitation of Christ, we fail to do our job. It is a both and. It's not an anonymous, we're gonna feed you because we follow Jesus. The Ecclesiast, I will confess to you that these are the individuals with whom I most struggle these days. Um, at their best, they want to strengthen the faith community. They want to build up the church, and, um, and in doing so, often will place structure in the driver's seat. So I have one particular pastor who prays for me all the time because he believes that I don't believe in structure. And that's not true. I really like my bones, and the bones are the structure of our body, and they um, kind of hold us. We couldn't get very far without them. But 
they are to support the spirit that dwells within. Um, and so sometimes uh, this can put um, structures before relationship and before the vision of who we are in Christ. The devotionalists are those who hunger for God. They are the people who, who keep calling us into that beautiful, intimate relationship with God, inviting us on that discipleship journey so that we might really discover for ourselves how our image of God shapes us. Um, but here the tension is sometimes we can get disconnected from, from feeding the hungry and reaching out to our community and making sure the bills are paid so the lights can be on. And then finally, the confessional, a passion for the truth. Um, but of course, for us, truth is embodied in the person of Jesus. So this is pretty dense material, but part of what I want to convey is that our images of God, which are shaped out of our first experiences of love, in turn inform how we approach being the body of Christ together. So I want to just pause, and I want you to take some time around your tables, and I want you to just reflect a little bit. As you think about scripture, what are the images of God that have been um, most profound for your journey up to this point? What images of God have informed and guided you on your faith journey? Let's just take a couple of minutes, and then we'll sort of report back in together about those images. And then the second question, if we have time, is how then do those images, our own individual images, how do we see those being lived out as together we are the body of Christ here in this place? So what images from scripture have guided you in your faith journey? And how do those images inform who you are together as the body of Christ? All right, take some... Maybe you can join Jack and Dan. They need a woman at their table. I know, I'm sorry. I, they really are dark. Well, it's, we have this problem. There's just so much light in here. Yeah, we well, we so. wouldn't want to trade the light. But no, no. Yeah. And well, and I will send this. What would I say to Karen? This is to be uploaded on the... Well, I'll send, send it to you. Because okay. I actually can put the PowerPoint if you go in the back. Oh, I don't on object. The website yeah, I mean, do you think there's domain issues with the... Um, no, I think the fact that I'm linking... Okay, cool. Thank you, thank you. about the energy field and it's like come on yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so there's a differential yeah well hmm what does that tell us oh, yeah yeah I know. yeah i'm shocked what are some of the images that come from scripture okay so god the creator genesis 1 and 2 oh eternity i know Creator God, your fingers trace the vast designs of furthest space. Jerry. The more I learn, the more I'm amazed. 
you are not the only medical doctor to have that experience. Praise be to God. Other images. Oh, right. All right, so it isn't through our attempts at trying to do things, but grace and mercy born out of relationship. Yeah. Um, Rich, do you want to talk about your experience as you were pulling down from the web with the fingers? Because this is significant. Yeah, so, you know, right, it's kind of like, oh, okay, but that reluctance that we can carry within ourselves. Oh, alas, I know. <laughs> I'm the eldest of an eldest and an only. Um, so I have a prayer assignment for you all in this coming week. You have a reading assignment. What chapter are you going to read? Matthew 14, a day in the life of Jesus. Here's your prayer assignment, though. My image of God creates me. For you, it might be a confession of praise, or it might be a confession to God that I am sensing I may have limited you in allowing your, my image of you to create me. How do you seek to create me through your image, God? How are you stretching me to know you more fully? Are there ways in which I've been resistant to knowing you? Is my image bounded in some way that needs to be released? Allow yourself to take some time and offer to God in prayer, my image of God creates me. Speak to me, Lord. Jerry. Well, that is not what I've organized for next week. <laughs> So I would suggest that we spend a day in the life of Jesus next week and see where the invitation is. I'm going to close us with a word of prayer right now. Let us pray. Holy God, thank you. Thank you for so many images that help us to know you more fully and, and help us to yield to you. So Lord, be with us this coming week in our praying and in our living, that your image might shape and form us until Christ is formed. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, beloved, don't forget, next week, chapter 14. <laughs>